Hello all and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal, and I have with me today a very special guest, J. Diane Dotson. Diane, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good now that I didn't mess up my intro. <laughs> <laughs> I've only done it like 35 times. I feel like I always like stumble or something, but kind yeah, of my third maybe. interview today, so I feel like I'm great. a little bit more warmed up, so... All right, so we'll start right in with that first question there. Uh, what has your writing journey been like up until this point? Well, I have been writing now for about four decades. I'm 47, and I started writing almost as soon as I could hold a crayon mm -hmm. and begin illustrating and writing at the same time. So as a young child, I you know, was just absorbing stories, particularly Oz stories, mm -hmm. and drawing them, and eventually I made a comic called Son of Blob, which was oh, cool. based on the movie The Blob because I the movie bothered me, but I wanted to make something funny. So I made a little a little blob that was, you know, humorous and going through the life of being a, a, a bloblet. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of kickstarting a little bit of the science fiction. And then I went from there and I wrote different kinds of stories. Like I wrote little house on the prairie kind of stories. I pioneer things. I even cosplayed as a pioneer girl a lot. And then I loved Star Wars so much. And then I saw Empire Strikes Back and I was completely all in on the space opera thing. So I really wanted to write my own version. And then He-Man and She-Ra came mm. along and Jim and the Holograms. And I was obsessed with just having this sort of kick-ass heroine that would, you know, fight in space and things like that. And then I began absorbing anime, but all the while I was writing this one story and it was becoming it was congealing into its own space opera. And that eventually would be the seed to writing my current series, The Questers on Saga. Mm, that's really cool. You said so many cool things like Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie. Yeah. I love T-Man and She-Ra. Like just that overall like blend and that new um, Masters of the Universe or Masters of Revelation or whatever it is on Netflix is just, I think it's just been fantastic because it really- I do too. I yeah, love it. Right? Oh, it's so good. Like, like sci-fi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, good old Kevin Smith. Curveball yeah, yeah. after curveball. You know, like you think you've got it figured out and he throws another curveball. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I just, it's been I a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Transformers was another oh, yeah, yeah. major influence. So oh yeah. I love Voltron too. Like too. oh god, Voltron was great. Mighty yeah. Orbots. That was like oh, my favorite yeah, cartoon. Yeah. yeah. That was more obscure, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, those are some good ones. I always watched too, like the Toxic Avenger, or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, was like there's so many great movies back then. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. It was a great time. I was, mm -hmm. I always go back, um, like, even like fantasy, right? Like Red Sonia. Oh, know, yeah. And like um, Beastmaster. Like, it was just such a love Beastmaster. Fun time. Yeah. Favorite. Yeah. I just thought it was a fun time for yeah. fantasy and sci fi. It really was. Lady Hawk. I loved Lady oh, Hawk. My gosh. I really tried to find a DVD of that, but they're all sold out for like the places I was, I'm like, oh my gosh. yeah, but I guess there's been like, a, obviously there's been a resurgence, you know, cause you have yeah, you know, people right. that want it. And yeah. So I, I'm like, I don't want it digitally. I'm like, I want to be able to have the DVD. Actual copy. Yeah. yeah you know, I get it. Yeah. yeah. The poster art itself, you know, the DVD. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. It's just magic. I'm actually going to be writing about it for a feature that oh, I'm working cool. on. So I can't wait to talk about it because I love that. And Dragon Slayer was another major oh. fantasy I loved. It's probably my favorite dragon movie. So yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Those are those are great. My friend and I we were sharing just a couple of those. Like, what was it? Well, I think he, well, I think he gave me like Sword of the Valiant or whatever. Oh wow, awesome. Yeah, I have, haven't ever seen that. So I was like, oh, this is cool. And 
Um, I've been kind of saving that one. I was hoping the Green Knight would be a little bit more, I guess, reminiscent of those kind of movies. And for me, it was. Oh, was yeah. It was very. Yeah. yeah. So I was like feeling more nostalgic so I feel like I need to rent Lady Hawk <laughs> or, well and then like John Borman's uh, Excalibur yeah all-time oh. faves extraordinary just the we used to study that in a cinematography class that I was in so I just, beautifully filmed yeah. oh my god so like the costume I had a friend that um I talked to about doing uh like I was starting to do the Eva Fulman stuff last year and he studies he, like that's what he was doing in college like decades ago and his like professor used to bring out Excalibur and they would awesome. look at the costumes and everything. And I just thought like, that would be like the coolest class, you know, just to, yeah, yeah just to watch and study it. Like, yeah, it was really neat. All right. Well, that's All awesome. These are spilled into my writing over time. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So. Well, so I guess, so I'm, before we get to that, um, that second question there, you just kind of brought up a really good point. So uh, I guess maybe it's kind of a blend there. Um, so when it comes to your writing, yeah, do you, how much of those kind of influences do you find, you know, really seep in? Cause for me, I know like, it's a lot of like, um, I loved Luke Han and Leia and Lando and Chewie, just the, you know, I guess the old school D and D party aspect, but in space. Yes. And I feel like I try to do that a lot. So how, you know, how much have you found that those kind of, you know, old school, um, you know, books and movies and things have, you know, seeped into your writing? Oh, quite a bit. And, you know, I think too, having a crew in a, in a tough situation, you know, like mm -hmm. in aliens, you know, or star Wars, you know, even the D and D cartoon that came out in the eighties, which yeah. I loved a lot. You know, I loved that mixed bag of characters. And I think that really imprinted on my stories too. So it was a mix of science fiction and fantasy and cartoons and anime and everything. And, but that core feeling of like finding your people and being stuck in a situation with them and trying to survive, you know, kind of found family, or should I say made family, yeah. you know, in a, in a crazy environment in space, you know, where you're dealing with monsters and, and galactic catastrophes and things like that. So that definitely had a huge influence on my writing. You can definitely draw a line from all these different things and see that, yeah, I was brought up in that era. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's hard, right? Where like your creative mind, there were just so many, you know, cool things, Teenage Ninja, you know, Ninja Turtles, like yeah. Power Rangers, like you, you name it. It was like before, right. The eighties. And then after it was like, there was just so much great writing, you know, TV, movies, books, it's like comics, you know, anime. It's like, it's just, it really is my friend. He's like talked about how it was like, you know, a modern day Renaissance. Oh yeah. You know, it was, it really was. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I just think it's interesting to ask people that because I always think like, like my friend, he goes, you can definitely read something I wrote. He's like, you can definitely tell you're a Star Wars fanatic. <laughs> yeah. well, it's pretty obvious when you read my books that I'm into Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who. Oh, you know. cool. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. What's your favorite Star Trek? Kind of hard, but. <laughs> well, it's a series. Uh, I would say Next Generation. Mm. Movies, I have to say Wrath of Khan. But oh, yeah. I just, um. I mean, I, I love, I love like all the even numbers of Star Trek movies. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Especially, but I mean, they all have merit, but Wrath of Khan, I think just, um, it was, you know, you knew at that point that there were real stakes. It felt dangerous. I loved that. And, you know, it was, I didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, I was freaked out by the movie. So, and you could tell too, like, you know, having, you know, Space Station regular one, I like Space Stations. So, mm -hmm. 
little bit of influence there and it's just a great great movie and the, yeah. the chase you know and the revenge and everything i love that flavor so yeah i just i think that's like it's definitely my favorite like i just loved seeing that type of star trek on screen and yeah. just the actors and actresses i thought just like everything for me they was- really brought their a game across the yeah. board yeah they really did my friend we were talking about like because I just think it's funny where like I feel like people don't talk about it enough in the Star Trek community at least like people like I've like on different groups and things and everybody always talks about every other movie I'm like how are we not talking about Wrath of Khan right now <laughs> I was like yeah it's, it's kind of crazy and then one of my friends went on there and um rated them and put Wrath of Khan at the top including the newer ones and people were like blah 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 and I'm like don't even don't even <laughs> like, you know and I'm like I'm like that's trying to tell that's like trying to tell you know me that like you know Attack of Clones is like the best Star Wars movie of all time. I'm like, I don't think so. Right. No. <laughs> I think it's interesting. But yeah, I love Wrath of Khan. Now I'm gonna have to go watch that too. And I know. I, um, I always I like to rewatch <laughs> it every couple of years. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, uh, so that actually leads us into I like just kind of asking those kind of questions sometimes in between uh one and two. So what is the first step of your world world building process? For me. Building worlds comes naturally because I was always highly imaginative and I was always building an escape from whatever was bothering me. I grew up in a very rural area that was near a small town and I was bored a lot. And so I kind of just started inventing worlds. But in order for it to work in a story, you you can dream up a world, but it it doesn't matter. It has to feel real. And so how do you make it real? You put the characters in this world and you don't want what's in that world to just be convenient. You know, you don't want like, oh, let's just suddenly have this path that goes over this mountain range and they're there and everything and things like that. So I try to make a believable world. And I think of my education in ecology has changed the way I write worlds now because mm-hmm. I understand the interconnectivity yeah. of people and whatever other beings that you have in their environment. And so I like to play with that and make it more believable that you feel like you're there. I think that with science fiction, and I'll talk a little bit about fantasy as well. With science fiction, you want it more grounded in in the realities of the environment, you know, like what kind of, what planet is it? What kind, what's the gravity like? You know, what are the surroundings like? Things like that. So you want the characters to be able to interact with that scenario and with fantasy, it's more like sticking to the rules because mm. you can you can have a lot more fun in fantasy in a certain way, but you still have to have rules in yeah. that world and you have to stick to them and not just make it just convenient again, you know, for the plot. So yeah. I just really like that grounded, believable feel. And it can be anything from being on a space station, a starship or in a tiny little house that's ancient in the middle of a a modern skyscraper Blade Runner-like city. You know, you just have to look around and see what's there. What does it smell like? What does it even taste like? What does it feel like? You know, in Heliopause, you know, Forrester is walking down the hallway in the space station and the floors are soft and he hates that. Even though what's happening with the soft floors is it's generating power for the station hmm. with the resistance of your footfall. So, you know, you, you make these things interact and make sense. And that's the kind of rich environment that I like for my characters to have their adventures in. So it yeah. makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. yeah. 
That's really cool. I never even thought of that in terms of, yeah, like that's really cool. I, I, th I think sometimes I struggle with that with, cause I was just talking to Courtney Davis about this and I'm like, I, I really good at it in a fantasy setting, probably because I'm a history teacher and, you know, it's like kind of, oh, like, yeah. you know, like ecology, right? Like building societies, how they interact, the problems with them, those things I think just come naturally. Cause that's what I've studied for long, so long, but I think yeah. that, I think you make a good point though because I think maybe part of my problem is the ecology is like I'm not I guess with sci-fi I don't feel like I'm doing that so there's really no interaction I think with I which I just realized as you know with my characters I don't think there's enough interaction with them in the actual world in the world building right. I think a lot of people so, might actually be in the same boat you know it's interesting before I entered the university and got a degree in ecology, you know, I had read Dune at like age 15. I started it young and then I couldn't quite get into it. I came back yeah. to it at like age 15 and I read it. And then eventually when I went to college and I started studying ecology, I realized Frank Herbert was, had really worked in ecology incredibly well. And that's one reason that the world building in Dune is so strong because these characters have to survive on this desert planet with the specific ecology of these giant worms that create you know, spice and, you know, every, everything there is reliant on everything else to survive. They come up with still suits, you know, to conserve their water, to deal with the environment, things like that. So I really just love digging into that. And now that I've come out the other side of it, it's a very different perspective and I appreciate it more. And I think it's just so much fun because, you know, like, for example, if you had a story set on a terraformed Europa, you know, and how would the geysers come into effect for that? I've actually written a story about that. Oh, that's you know, cool. And how that would affect, you know, people who lived there in a terraformed situation. So I just really love that, you know, because, you know, I've moved around a lot around the country and I've visited England, of course, uh, recently a lot. Um, and I like to see how people respond to place and weather, climate, and how they build and what they use, what they wear, everything that they're using to cope with that environment. It fascinates me and it, the animals that, and plants that grew there, you know, and are adapted to that environment are con completely unique. You know, you can't just pick them up and set them down somewhere else and, and think they'll make it. So it just fascinates me. And I feel like that's a really fun aspect to add to science fiction and fantasy to a certain extent, because you can use it in fantasy as well. Like for example, in Lord of the Rings, you know, they have to deal with a volcanic, you know, a seismic situation in Mordor and, you know, thinking in terms of sort of this, this noisome stench and how it could affect your journey and things like that. I think that's pretty cool world building. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also too, like where, you know, even like the past, right. Where, you know, especially in fellowship, right. Where they're trying to go through the mountains, but they can't because it's already right. so dangerous. And then Sauron's just, you know, using, you know, magic to make it harder. I'm like, I feel like, you know, they're, you know, you see Legolas is on six feet of snow and not going through yeah. it. It's like, I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. And I feel like you actually feel the hardship of the journey. So I think you make it. Exactly. Good you, the stakes are raised. So like when your characters are put in a situation where you're, the environment is working against you. And, you know, that's, that's drama and that's real. And we know that as human beings, like we've survived having dealt with that over millennia, you know, so 
I, I think it's just a really cool thing to add into your world buildings. Just how is that environment going to affect you? You know, and mm -hmm. could like, could you, you know, if you're in space, obviously you can't breathe outside, you know, and without assistance of some suit or some kind of something else like, and then, you know, whatever species has, has adapted and evolved to like an asteroid or, you know, some sort of low gravity or high gravity planet, things like that. It's really fun to play with that. And, you know, it, it's really fun to do the research and also mm -hmm. to seek out the advice of experts on it too, which is a whole nother aspect to it. I feel like I get lost in not rabbit holes, but like black holes when I go to research because I'm yeah. <laughs> talking to Courtney about that. Like, so I had, so I was researching, like I thought for my sci-fi, I thought it'd be cool if humans were branching out into our solar system and then discovered, you know, life. And I thought, well, what kind of life would that be? And I was looking at, you know, like moons like Titan and I'm like, what well, have to be aquatic life. And then I came across a very interesting article where it talked about like ancient, like aliens, right. Or astronauts. And but the part that was interesting so my brother and I love that stuff. Like we just love anything involving space and mystery. Yeah. But it was so interesting to me to see how many cultures were like, yeah, okay, whatever. But to see how many cultures that this guy had found had supposedly met aquatic alien life. I thought, oh my gosh, like that'd be really cool world building, you know, that like yeah. the aliens are on the different moons with under the ice or whatever. Right. They were visiting earth in the past. And, you know, that's like, kind of a cool relationship but yeah. yeah it's I I love researching that stuff but I feel like I just get so so caught up because I find it so yeah. interesting and I feel like I have to set a timer for myself now when I go yeah back. you kind of have to do that because it becomes yeah. a little too distracting and interesting and you could just it is yeah cover. yeah it just <laughs> totally. I think that's what makes the genre interesting right is like yeah 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 it's really neat and some of the new technology and stuff you know when I was looking into that you know, like to see what they were, you know, trying to make to help, you know, interstellar travel and, you know, just travel within the solar system. It's like, it's astounding what, you know, I don't think a lot of people really realize like what we're actually doing. And I don't, right. like, history teacher, I don't think a lot of people realize too, you know, like that was a very short time where the Wright brothers, Incredibly. you know, yeah, it's Incredibly like, short time. Yeah. And it's getting faster, you yeah. know, and like, yeah. you know, with gene editing tools like CRISPR and mRNA and things like that, like, that's just been the past couple of years yeah. for medical science. And so yeah. like, it's just everywhere, it's just increased exponentially quickly. So yeah. it's going to be quite an interesting feature for us, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I try to remember if I was talking to another sci-fi author recently, if it was somebody else I was listening to, I feel like I've talked to so many authors lately and listened to so many podcasts, but, um, oh no, it was Joe Rogan on his podcast. Uh, he had talked to, uh, this scientist and they were talking about how, you know, like we're already more like cybernetic beings because, you mm -hmm. know, like you look at your watches, smart watches and things like, right. that, you know, and I thought they actually made a good point. I was like, wow, that yeah. is very interesting. Like, <laughs> I never considered it before, but yeah, it was like, we're already kind of there. And I was like, that is a, a really good you know, point happening fast. Yeah. And then I went down a another black hole researching that last week. So <laughs> I didn't get a lot of writing done because I looked researching. Uh, Easy to do. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how it happens sometimes. But yeah. Well, that's really cool. I actually really like that you said the ecology because I think that I don't know. I guess I don't know why I'm not doing it with sci-fi because they do it with fantasy. And I don't know why I've never thought of that. <laughs> like I feel like that should have been like a really easy 
translation to fix my world building for sci-fi. So I think a lot of people, you know, I've talked to like, uh, I was talking to Courtney about that too, just a while ago, where she kind of said the same thing for urban fantasy, like she writes a lot of urban fantasy, but you know, she's got a science fiction story that she's trying to work on. And I'm going to have to suggest that to her because that could be you know, the problem that she's having is, you know, the ecology or, you know, just thinking about how, you know, her characters are interacting with the world. Cause I know that's definitely has been my problem. So. I think that might be a fun subject. Like I talked about it in a couple of workshops and panels when I was at Bristol Con in England in October and which was awesome. And so I, I kind of feel like that's something I want to address more since I do have an ecology background that I can talk about that. And that might be a really fun kind of workshop to do online and maybe, you know, take my educational background and my writing and kind of, give some tools to direct where you could look and what you could think about, what different aspects could affect you and things like that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally sign up for that if it was. All right. I think I'm going to do it because enough people have talked about it. Yeah. That I I think it'll be good. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, when you said that originally, I was just like, gosh, so many times where I'm like, it has been interesting for the ecology, you know, and, I think that's what's cool about Star Wars, right? Is they don't just write on these terraform worlds. It's like, right. you know, like the Jedi, the human Jedi have to figure out how to interact, you know, or whatever, you know, or even like the right. Gundams, right? Like from Phantom Menace. Right. Like, I just always thought that was cool that, you know, they had to go down into the water and, you know, they had their different technology yeah. down there. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that that was well thought out, you know, and yeah. And even, you know, even on Tatooine in A New Hope, you know, you have moisture farming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, because of the environment there and the kinds of creatures that live there, things like that. So, which I think is, it's been fun watching The Mandalorian and seeing I totally more, agree. more of the creatures and interaction with that desert world. Yeah. A lot of fun. So. Yeah, I just, I think, uh, you know, like the crate Dragon even, right? Like just thinking. Yes. Of, or right. like a black pit or, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think I'll, I like that the man, I like that you brought that up because I like that the Mandalorian went more for the ecology and the different, you know, yeah. actions. And yeah, that's what I always thought like, was cool about Galaxy Quest was like they had so many. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah, like the rock being or whatever, yeah. like the, the, the golem. I was like, wow. I was like, I never thought that that could be a life form, you know, on a different yeah. planet. And my friend's like, no, that's just from DD. I'm like, but it actually could be, you know, and it right. really, makes you think and, then, and that's that's what you want you want something to be yeah. plausible and believable that it's very possible could exist somewhere because it it makes sense right yeah yeah oh so, yeah hmm. yeah i mean totally thinking about sci-fi world building in a totally different way all right great you know, our audience is getting a lot out of that <laughs> um okay so in terms of that third question so would you say then uh so this is the original question so what do you find to be the key elements in world building for science fiction so Obviously, ecology is one. So what right. would you like some of your other building blocks, I guess, then? Well, for science fiction, you've got to think in terms of if it's interstellar travel, then you need mm. to think in terms of distances and, you know, the physics of that and time dilation, things like that. But also, you know, if you're on a planet, what's the planet's gravity like? What is the topography like? You know, if you have to land on this planet, where can you land? What's the what's the ground made of? What's the geology, you know? What are all the ologies, yeah. <laughs> the biology, the geology, the, um, the landscape and, you know, how, how you're going to respond there. So I feel like 
that's all these different aspects of, you know, our everyday world that we have to deal with, you have to deal with in an extraordinary environment, and it's going to be different. And you can't fall in the trap of saying it's just another earth, because that's not that believable either. However, there seem to be a lot of our kind of worlds potentially in the galaxy. So we don't know yet, but you know, I think there's a lot of great exotic potential out there too. And obviously you have everything from small rocky worlds to giant gas planets. And so you want to, when you're world building science fiction, you want to think in terms of the physics and the geology and all the different sciences in it. That's the science part of the science fiction. It doesn't mean that you have to be hammering it into people that it has to be this dry exposition, but you have to make it make some kind of sense. Um, otherwise you're going to dip into fantasy, which if you're going for both, like I do, then you have a little more bigger playground to play in, but stick to the science and stick to the dynamics of interactions. Like if you're having to deal with asteroids, you know, like think about what kind of speeds and things like that, that they could be traveling in the rotation and things like that. And so for that, it's helpful to seek out the advice of scientists. Yeah. If you have access to astronomers, geologists, physicists, use that. And, and they would probably prefer that you asked them instead of trying to figure <laughs> out on your own and botching it and they read it. Like you could yeah. have asked me, you know, because I know so many scientists who just love to be asked these kinds of questions. So ask the experts, ask medical experts too, because it's oh. another thing about world building is, you know, how do you take care of yourself in an extraordinary place in space? You know, what kind of medical situation do you have? Things like that. And how does technology help you? That's another aspect, of course, that we kept pushing the boundaries of Star Trek with, you know, tricorders, which we almost have now. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's true. And yeah. So as science fiction writers, we're always trying to push the boundaries of what what's plausible and possible. And those aspects of world building are important. So just rely some on the science for your science fiction. I was just talking to Courtney and Chris about this today where I'm like, I feel like I need to hire a scientist like my friend does because he just wants to do, you know, the fun part. <laughs> like for right. him, like you, him and me are not the best scientists. Like I understand, you know, like a lot of things, but it's like when it comes to the math, the physics and stuff, I'm just like, oh, I was like, I'd much rather pay a development like a science developmental editor or something like that you know just to to go through because that we were talking about that earlier me and Courtney were like there are expectations you know and it's like you can't leave those behind and otherwise right, exactly. like, you're going to be falling flat <laughs> so yeah, yeah seek the advice of the people who you know that's their bread and butter and yeah and then acknowledge them, of course, in your book, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like I had said, you know, like I told uh, my friend the other day, I said, I don't even care if, you know, whoever helped me wanted to like be co-author. I'm like, I really don't care. I'm like, I just want <laughs> to be writing, you know, science fiction that actually makes sense. Uh, right. You know, and yeah, like, like you said, like, I just, I think that I like that, you know, like where you said the different allergies, like you could do like the allergies of world building. <laughs> like, right. That would be a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, I am kind of working on something related to that. So oh, cool. that's not official yet, but it is something I'm working on. So, oh, and I was going to say too, that um, for luminiferous, you know, the auroras on the planet, I had sought the advice of a space scientist, a space oh. weather scientist, someone who studies auroras. Oh, that's and cool. yeah, so, and she was extremely helpful to helping me figure out, you know, how, how an aurora can interact with something artificial on a planet, which was a really fun thing to think about, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, 
I, I just feel like even if you look at right like our moon and you know our tides and stuff it's like I just think it'd be interesting to you know talk to different scientists or astronomers or whoever and just people that study those things and be like okay like what's really going on with Mars you know like right. I just Mars to me is just fascinating I love Venus and Jupiter like I just like I love studying about them I just think they're so fascinating and I think you make a yeah. good point you know bringing people in because it's like what could you do, you know, like with that information, you know, from a writer's perspective, it's like, it's pretty cool to think about. It's a big playground out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Definitely, definitely got me thinking a lot of different things now for sci-fi. So good. The conversation I needed apparently right now. So. All right. That's great. And you can always ask me questions anytime. Oh, so. awesome. Awesome. I appreciate it. I don't know the answer. I could probably find somebody yeah, who does. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. like talking to more sci-fi authors, no offense to fantasy authors. I feel like I just talked to so many fantasy authors because that's what I'm writing right now. And I've been talking to more urban fantasy and like paranormal romance authors and stuff because I'm trying to, you know, to write urban fantasy as a stepping stone. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I need to start talking to more sci-fi authors because I'm like, I need to start solving some of these problems for my writer brain. But well, yeah. we all the different kinds of writers, we can all help each other too because- yeah you know, as a science fiction writer, you know, like there's certain aspects of like a fantasy and that I would like to incorporate into my books. And so I want to talk about that sometime. So that'll yeah. be a fun kind of back and forth to have with a different kind of author. Yeah. So think about. it's so funny that you said that because I, we talked about um, probably in May doing panels. Awesome. You know, and like having you come and then having like my friend, Mark Timoney come. And then for like epic fantasy, but then having, you know, like Courtney Davis come for urban yeah. fantasy and then, posing, yeah. Right. And then posing these same types of questions yeah. for world building, but we then also, I know. Right. But then also yeah. we talked, my friend just has like the best ideas. Like he doesn't want to be, um, he's helping me behind the scenes. He doesn't want to be on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, David. But he's had a lot of really good ideas, you know, and I was like, Oh, that'd be so cool. And we talked yeah. about doing one episode, um, with people just being like, okay, like we just thought it'd be interesting to be like, okay, here's a fantasy world. How we set up the world building. Yeah. Fun. Wi-Fi world. How do you yeah. set it up? Here's urban fantasy. How do you set it up? You know, just, yeah, just to like make it like a three-part thing. And then kind of like the fourth one to kind of be like, okay, so, you know, like you mentioned something here, you know, Mark mentioned something here, Courtney mentioned something here. And just to see how the different genre brains, you know, kind of interact and, you know, maybe some of the commonalities and differences. And we thought it would be a interesting experiment. It know. would be. And especially for anybody who's into RPGs, that would be a really rich discussion oh. to have because yeah. that would be so much fun to have all the different perspectives and yeah. potentially come up with a great game. Yeah. So, Let's well, yeah. two guys, two writers do it for, for, um, oh, for anime and manga. But it was like, I thought, well, they're friends and they know each other and they write in the same genre and they did a fabulous job. And it was a, it was a great world building exercise, but I was just like, what would happen if you mixed, you know, different authors? Yeah. Genres? Yeah. I just, it'd be so fun. I, yeah, I'm yeah. in, I'm all in if you want to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm cool. like, I'm like, that'd be really, really cool. So we had a couple of ideas like that just with, you know, I guess world building for me, I just think, cause you know, no matter what Johnny you're writing in, you know, you got to start with the world, you know, and how yeah. the characters interact. I just think it's so important. So I think May is going to be our, our world building month. Awesome. Um, yeah. We had a lot of really cool, you know, tools and, you know, just different things that people have said. And I'm like, Oh, that's really neat. So we kind of want to spend a little bit more time 
great. Know, on them. Yeah. So we thought maybe even what we could do is like, you know, do the discussion for the world building. And then if people wanted to come and try to use a different tool or something like that, or a, I like that. Yeah. A website, you know, whatever. We've gotten a lot of things yeah. our way. So it'd be kind of cool to make you guys the guinea pigs, so to speak, and, you know, kind of go from there. So, yeah, I think it'd be really cool. All right. Well, that next question there, that fourth one. So how do you put, and you have mentioned this a little bit, how do you put the science in science fiction? Yeah, that's building back on the points that we've already talked about a bit of using ecology as one example and physics as another in geology, uh, astronomy, what position are these worlds in in space and what, what's going on in their sky and their system? You know, is it a single system? Is it a binary system? Is it, you know, so it's, you have to, you have to use some science and science fiction, but I do think that you also have a little bit of free reign. You don't have to get too bogged down. I know that I have a science background, but a lot of science fiction writers don't, yeah. and that's fine. And you don't need a science background to write science fiction. I just want to hammer that home. Mm -hmm. It's helpful to a certain extent, but in some ways it could also stymie you maybe because you're wanting to kind of stay a little more rigid yeah. and maybe you kind of have to step back from it. So, but having some science and science fiction is important. There's different grades of science fiction, right? There's hard sci-fi, which is heavily reliant on science fiction and sorry, in science in science fiction. And then, sort of fantasy sci-fi where you're stepping back a bit from some of the science, but you should still keep it in there on some level. Otherwise you're straight up space fantasy. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a measure too of how, how much science do you want in your science fiction? Do you want it to be hard sci-fi? Do you want it to be soft sci-fi? Do you want it to be, what is it? Is it space opera? Is it military sci-fi? You know, what are, what are the rules that you need to stick to? And I think that that kind of leads back to the world building that the science that you put in your science fiction, stick to whatever rule that you're using for your writing and keep it consistent so that you don't have this deus ex machina situation. And, <laughs> you know, which, you know, if, it, if you can pull it off, it can be fun, but it can also kind of cripple the whole book and, you know, people maybe not make it as, re-readable you know what I mean if something out of the blue come in and save things it's not as not as satisfying I think as having the challenge and the build-up and having people work for it you know I think of going into horror for a second and thinking of the stand <laughs> hand of God yep. you know but at the same time like he pulled it off because you kind of had that supernatural element building and uh, a lot of mythology to it so I feel like if you're going to pull something like that off, at least make it make sense. And yeah. Way. But yeah, figure out how much science you want in your science fiction. I obviously sprinkle some doses in mine because of my science background. And even if I hadn't had that, I would have done the same. And, you know, you want, you want things to be plausible in the extraordinary. It's funny that you mentioned the stand. I just, I think, um, I think that one really worked. But I do think that at times he has tried that same type of thing. I don't want to mm -hmm. give, you know, and it does, it hasn't worked yeah. quite as well. And exactly. Like, <laughs> that was like, he had the secret sauce in the stand. Yeah. He had yep. like yep. the right mix of actually science, you know, with the virus, uh, Captain Trips, and then, and then having the horror and the supernatural 
and you know the rich character and setting design and the, that cocktail it was like pure distillate Stephen King you know and oh, yeah. it, it worked and it's there's it's a classic for a reason it stayed yeah. that way for a reason so but yeah it's I think that he tried to go back to that well maybe a little too much yeah in some yeah. other works um and to me sometimes it's more interesting if you step back from what worked and challenge yourself as a writer. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, it's like, we were just chatting the other day. Um, I think it was Michael Webb and I were talking about that before we started recording. And we, uh, we just thought it was funny. Cause then I, cause I had mentioned uh, this story of when I first got on a Twitter and like my author Twitter, like about three years ago. And I was like, oh, I'm going to follow Stephen King. And I go and I see his blurb. I didn't know if it was him, but it had a blue check mark. And it just, all his blurb said was, you know who I am. <laughs> and I was just like, I want to be that big of a boss someday, you know, just to <laughs> right. put that in my, any profile. It's me, you know. <laughs> it's I am me. the real king or whatever. Like, I was just like, oh, it was so, it was such a power move. I'm like. Yeah, wow. it's a flex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flex. yeah, it was super you know. cool. Uh, yeah. Now I have to go and reread the stand again and. Uh, yeah, that was a really good one. worse, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I just talked about, this is so funny they mentioned that. I talked about that like about three weeks ago with a friend of mine because he's never read any Stephen King. And I'm like, seriously? I was like, first of all, you should definitely read It. Um, yes, yeah. It, The Stand. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just, I was like, I don't know. He's written so many really good ones. I was like, why don't you just like start with those? And then I was like, Pet Cemetery, you know. They look a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. There's just so many good ones, but yeah, he's just now getting into horror and I'm like, really? Like, we're uh, <laughs> I'm kind of envious because you know what an adventure he's about to have. I know. That's right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Like to restart. I, I talked about that with a couple of people in a writing group, like to take yourself back. Right. And reread whatever was really good for the first time again. It's just like, like, I would love to, yeah. yeah. Like, to go back and read the Hobbit, every wipe, you know, reread it. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super. A little men in black action there. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think for books it would be good, you know, like right for books it would be good. Yeah, yeah. I oh my gosh, like it's like I just went and saw like Spider Man, and I'm thinking like, oh, uh, lucky. It's so good. I'm about to go with my brother uh, again on Thursday, and I it, it blew my mind. And that's just like from a awesome. writer's standpoint, I was like, this is really. I wasn't expecting it, I guess. Like I, you know, I knew it was going to be really good, but I didn't expect it to be like change my attitude as a writer, I guess. Like it was. Yeah, that's a, that's a good yeah. selling point to go see it. Yeah. Wow. Like, and like, I guess the best thing I could say about it without, you know, spoiling anything for anybody is I never had expectations for any of the movies that would I love the graphic novel from like, like the early 2000s, yes. run, you know, yeah. and they just had so many amazing, you know, artists and writers on that. It's like yeah, great, great. Yeah. Time for that. And to, to capture the essence of Spider-Man, I don't think any movie's done it. And this one did it. And it, awesome. didn't, it didn't just do it. I felt like it hammered it home and I, I felt like the first time I had read those graphic novels because that was oh my god yeah was, I, I now I really now you got me really oh, excited want to see it oh I just for me I was just like because my old best friend like growing up just like that was Spider-Man was his favorite so we played all the games and you know read so many comics and stuff but 
I just I felt like it did a great job of blending the ultimate Spider-Man run with some of the best you know graphic novels that they had, and especially those first four, and then you know some of the the classic like Amazing Spider-Man stuff from cool. that. Point. I just yeah, it was it was really good. Oh, that's awesome. I, I always you. just you know want to write something that makes somebody cry or cheer. feel that way. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I was yeah. like, gosh, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I just thought it was so cool. cool. Yeah, so I highly recommend it. It was, it was all right, great. Yeah, and I like the Witcher season two had some scenes where I'm like, okay, like you know, this is why I like grim dark fantasy. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. You know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really neat. It's like the Last Kingdom. Like I love Uhtred. I so many times where I'm just like, yeah, like you know, I just I love things that like he does a lot of stupid things, but you know, he does a lot of smart things. And there's things I like that he did, particularly in season four, where I just keep going back and. I'm like, I can't believe we're only getting one more season of that. So I'm like going to have to watch the five seasons for the rest yeah. of my life. But hopefully they go back when they're older. I guess I heard a rumor yeah. they're going to go back later, maybe, um, you know, to some of the other books. Oh, cool. Yeah, which I thought was cool. I think like fantasy and sci-fi would be cool if they did that too, you know, like. Yep. 10 Absolutely. years later, something like that. Like it'd be yep. kind of cool. But yeah, definitely recommend Spider-Man. It was really good. Cool. Great. Uh, so for number five, so how, so I'm glad you mentioned this, um, you know, when you emailed me originally, cause I didn't think to ask you this. So I'm glad to know that about your books. Uh, so how do you go about blending fantasy and science fiction elements together in the same story? Well, since it's science fiction, you know, I'm leaning more towards potentially plausible within the realms of physics as we understand it, that kind of thing. When it comes to fantasy, you're introducing magic. And there's a mysticism about it, or there's magical realism even. And in my books, the Questrazon saga, there is some fantasy. There, there are mages. And of course, you know, you could talk about how wizards and mages and things like that are really just high-tech people, like alien beings or whatever beings that have learned to make it seem like they're working magic when really it's just their form of technology. So that's one way that you can spin fantasy and science fiction. But then, you know, like with Star Wars, you have the force, which is a mystical, you know, connection between all living beings. And so I think that in, in my story, I, I lean into that a little bit. I don't have like this overarching force. Uh, I have sort of supernatural, slightly horror elements to some of the fantasy, like the evil being Payash Dohan is, you know, able to split itself into stocks and kind of materialize at different parts of the galaxy and cause people to suffer without killing them because it feeds on the suffering and wants to, people to stay alive in a state of torture so it can continue to grow. So it's like the worst possible situation yeah. where you, you're, you're living your hell over and mm. over again and something is feeding off of that, but keeping you alive. So, you know, and in that regard, you know, it's, I can't explain the science behind that so much. There are some hints of, of what's behind that in book four, because I didn't want to spoil it. Um, but, you know, I do have galactic mages. There's Ariad, there's Gendu, there's Prince Tazkanat, three diff totally different species of galactic mage. Um, so they're known as being wizards. Now, what, what separates, for example, Ariad apart from other beings that he interacts with is that he really does not like 
He does not like robots. He doesn't want them in his home. He doesn't want anything to do with that. He does, he has his own style of technology, which some people would call magic. Mm. He would just, you know, you know, like he could, he could look at you and change your outfit as you stood there, but you know, he's an alien. So that's his form of technology is his magic, right? So somebody's magic is another person's tech. And mm -hmm. that's how it is in my stories, basically. So, you know, this, there's, fantasy gives you an out in a way for not having to explain the minutia of how something works, but you still have to stick to rules. Yeah, yeah. So like when you're framing that, you just got to be consistent. Like, okay, you've introduced that there's a magical or mystical or metaphysical element to something, which, you know, even as early as heliopause, there is that metaphysical element introduced. And so once you've established that, then you can have fun with it. But, you know, this is very much a rich galaxy in which there are forces of evil and there's, you know, forces of good and there's magic, you know, but, you know, or advanced technology, as Ariad likes to say. So that's just kind of how I have blended it together. And I just made it fun. You know, for me, it was just a lot of fun. Like I wanted to have a planet which is almost impossible to get into because the planet itself is its own defense mechanism. Oh, that's cool. Opea is a planet that won't let just anything in. So most ships that are coming into the atmosphere are going to meet their end. Oh, cool. But there are pockets of the atmosphere that are open that you can get into. And that's how part of the world is settled. But the planet determines who's coming in and who is not, yeah. along with the help of a mage named Gendu. And so, you know, it's working. It's using its electromagnetic properties to disrupt air, you know, ships and air traffic so that you can't, there's only certain parts of this planet where you can get any machines to work. So it's kind of neo-Luddite elsewhere. Yeah. Is, everything's disrupted. So it's, that's really fun because I have a mix of the planet having a bit of a consciousness while at the same time, you're having to work within the limits of, you know, disrupted technology, you know, and it's a pain in the butt. So yeah, like you can't, you can't just get in your spaceship and fly over there. You have to actually sail a boat on a straight and have to deal with possessed creatures bashing into your boat and knocking you out of the boat. So, you know, it's a, those are the different things that I've used in the various books. And I like the trickery that mages do. That's one thing. That's one reason they're mages are considered mages because they can alter themselves or other realities and trick people. So I thought that would be a fun thing to have happen in these stories. You know, I just always imagined Ariad with his castle, you know, floating above the surface of Rikoloi, you know, and there's a spaceship leaving the castle. So it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. No, it's just fun for me. It's just a blast. So. I just love that cover. I just, it just, it, I think it really captures like your blurbs and everything. Yeah, so yeah. if you guys online haven't seen, you gotta go check out her covers, okay? And the blurbs. Um, and I gotta get them now and in paper. Yeah, you do. It's like really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the, you know, like even this the ship here, you know, it kind of looks like an SR-71 Blackbird. It's like a yeah, fantasy yeah, yeah, yeah. version of it. Um, and I designed this ship with my own art and gave it to the cool. artist. So it's a, you know, I like to combine elements of fantasy even in the ship design because if this is a mage's ship. Oh, okay. And it's got a little bit of sort of art nouveau design to it, you know, and so he's, 
you know, he's an advanced mage coming up against another mage's ships on this cover. So it's a lot of fun. I just have tons of fun combining the science and yeah. science fiction and the fantasy in the story. I just always like that blend personally. I'm, I'm a big Warhammer fan. Oh God. Yeah. Warhammer yeah. on. Yeah. I have saved the books. I read nice. a lot of games, board games, video games, comics, but I've saved the books for myself and my friend and I are about to book club them like all summer. So I'm just awesome. awesome. There are a few that I read, you know, when it, you know, it was like a bigger thing. Um, I guess now it's a huge thing, but like, you know, like in the nineties and stuff. Right. Right. I, I, I don't remember them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So some of them I do get to go back, you know, cause it's been, Oh my gosh, you know, almost 24 years, you know, for yeah. some of them. And, you know, yeah. I can go back and reread them now and you know it'll be the first time again, but yeah. Totally. The cool blend. So yeah. I yeah, like it's just it's just a blast. And you know, we don't know what we don't know kind of deal, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned just the the higher technology and it looking like magic, because Brandon Sanderson had talked about, and I keep trying to go back and listen to his online lectures for his BYU class, but he had mentioned a science fiction story where like so like it's humans, I think it's like like a thousand years from now or whatever. And then those humans go to another planet um and then those beings think that they're gods and goddesses because they have right technology uh so they kind of solve that question that way like that's what the author did so i think it's interesting that you mentioned it that way that's really cool well and i thought about um i didn't read a whole lot of her books but anna caffrey's um you know the dragon riders of pern oh I mean, here, yeah. here you have like another planet but you have dragons right so you yeah, have like yeah. the best of both worlds and it's so much fun to play with that, you know, and yeah. like giant mystical creatures, you know, on another planet. Why not? You know, yeah. have fun with it. So I just love that stuff. Yeah. I don't want to ruin it, but I really want to say this, but maybe I'll put it in the blur. Um, <laughs> so what should I say? Like, cause I had always, when I first read those books, I think I've read the first three or four when I was in middle school, which I love. Yeah. That's about when I read them too. Yeah. I didn't realize until probably about three years ago, listening to Brandon Sanderson's lectures that, um, that she had classified them as science fiction. I had always assumed right. fantasy. Right. You yeah. Know? Well, and then she had, she had come out with a prequel that kind of talked about, and I loved that book. I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but that prequel had kind of established when they had got to the world and that what had started to happen to them. That's so I was obsessed with that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I did not. So yeah, so I really love that that she embraced, you know, the science fiction aspect of the world building that she had had. So it's incredible. And I'd love to see those, you know, done properly on the screen mm. someday. Yeah, I that's a um I was just talking to a few people about that. Um, you know, um with the wheel of time. I just yeah personally felt I just personally felt like Netflix should have done it and or HBO. I just I'm a little worried. I'm more worried now. I guess I, yeah. like Mark Timmy had talked about it yesterday. I just, there were a lot of things I really liked about it. And I feel like I separate things very well because I just yeah. know it's not going to be as good as the book. <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, I'm a huge Conan the Barbarian fan, Robert E. Howard. Oh God, yes. Uh, yeah. And I, that movie, like Jason Momoa did an amazing job, but I didn't think the the writing and directing was great for the one that he was in. I thought he was a great Conan. It was a shame. Right. Um, I wish like someone else would take him and then, you know. Yeah, I know. Right. I hate yeah. that. 
He's the right a, person and not the right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Eh. Like Henry Cavill, like Henry Cavill, I think is a great Superman, but I think what they did to him was awful. <laughs> I'm like, right. uh, yeah, I'm like, I just thought about that yesterday watching Spider-Man. I said, you know, I said to my buddy when we went, I said, you know what they should do? I said, they really should just keep Henry Cavill at like, um, you know, and just redo the, you know, the whole movie and universe. They uh, could. But yeah, Maybe they will. I yeah, don't know. yeah. If they did the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths or whatever, I think. Well, see, and they did that on the TV show. Yep. So, yep. I mean, there's no reason they couldn't do it in the films. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. reason they couldn't. I just yeah. think it'd be a blast. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love all the crisis stories. I kind of live for those. <laughs> Always wanting somebody to take that yeah. and run. So I, much fun. What was it like? So, like, the original one was, was that in the 50s or I think it was the 60s? That was a really good run. And I like where they redid it again in the late 80s. Was it yeah. Early 80s? Yeah, like. Those runs were amazing. I discovered them in, I think, uh, maybe I was like in, like in high school or something. Like just getting right, same, yeah. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, so much fun. Yeah, I want to yeah. see, see that happen on the big screen. Yeah, it's, yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah. It'd be really neat. Yeah. All right. Well, I might have to go back and watch this episode myself. I feel like we got a really, a lot of really cool stuff. Now we're digging on all kinds of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it that way. Um, so we kind of already like answered um, number six there. Um, is there anything else you want to say, um, you know, about the, is it, sorry, how do you say it? Is the equestrian, how do you Questrison, say it? The Questrison saga. Yeah, I'm from the and, Midwest, you can tell, I don't get those. <laughs> well, there's, it, it has to do with the era that is taking place in because, oh, cool. you know, in, in the first book, Heliopause, it's set at the edge of our solar system in what is called Heliopause, you know, that Voyagers one and two have, yeah. Cross now so cool. it's one of several remote space stations that are research stations and this one is mandira research station and a man named forrester starts to see flashes of light outside his window that nobody else can see hmm. and then a captain of an incoming ship is attacked by an invisible foe and they think that a missing daughter who was part of a telepath experiment could be related to all these problems and ultimately another crew member efren who's very enigmatic and strange clues them in that there's something else going on on a broader scale in the galaxy and that he's trying to help stop that from happening to our solar system. Hmm. So it's a, there's telepathy, there's uh, evil entities, there's, you know, found family and creepy stuff going down at the edge of the solar system. And then in the second book, as you can tell, things get quite exotic and fantastical. Yeah. And someone who's hinted at in Heliopause, but not introduced, Galadea, looks like a human, but she isn't. She's part of a group of beings called representatives who the galactic governing body, the associates, wants to help stop Peyastrohan, this evil menace that's taking over the galaxy. But Gala is just kind of an idiot, kind of, you know, <laughs> a brat being raised on a star city full of androids by her, you know, foster android father. And then the wizard Ariad takes an interest in her and then kind of in true Hades Persephone fashion, takes her and trains her himself and falls in love with her and vice versa. But she is supposed to be protecting humans ultimately. And she becomes a new superhero. She's very flawed and vulnerable. She meets humans that were introduced in Heliopause. And then she starts to see that they have to track down this network of device worlds and activate something that could stop a catastrophe and try to prevent Peyastrohan from taking over the galaxy. So a lot of found family themes, a lot of like, you know, ragtag team, team ups and 
you've got giant insects and you've got telepaths and you've got Gala with her kind of being a supergirl situation and but very flawed and trying to fit in and nobody really knows what to do to stop this <laughs> evil menace you know it continues in accretion when everything that i've built up comes crashing down and this is where people start to compare me to george r, r. martin <laughs> it's a great comfort for us <laughs> yeah so and then the you know in the i can't spoil spoil what happened but in the final book it's just a truly epic showdown you know multi-generational showdown that it's all been leading to over centuries and so comes down to this strange world that won't let just anybody in and it's on that world that the galaxy's last hope exists and oh, that's cool they have to go face the monster in the void finally so it's a it's a very you know multi-generational touching funny scary broad mix of things it's uh, people who have read it say that it's a lot like a mixture of star trek doctor who game of thrones you know a kind of a blend of all those things that you know you have there's a lot of swearing you know there's sex <laughs> it's kind of steamy particularly in the final book and you know it just is it's a rich world where my readers become obsessed with the characters and what happens to them so i throw my all into those characters and put them in the craziest scenarios you could ever <laughs> come up with so, and then you know these poor characters, but you know, <laughs> what you do, right? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. And I think that if you like science fiction and you like fantasy, you're gonna find something that you'll love in all four books. I mean, it definitely sounds like it. it sounds like you got just so many great elements, you know, of science fiction and fantasy that there's gotta be something for everyone. Right. Uh, which I think is, it's a really good idea, I think, in terms of planning and trying to sell a series, you know, to, to a newer audience or, you know, like I was just like, was reading the first book's blurb and I was just like, yes, please. <laughs> like, I didn't even, get, I, I'll be honest, I didn't even get to the other blurbs. Cause for me, I'm like, if I like your first blurb, I'm like, and I'm pretty particular about the blurb, you know? And like I said, the cover and you know, the, the title, I'm just like, yep. If you check those three boxes, like I'm good to go. Nice. I'll read every one of your books after that. So cool. <laughs> I like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My friend the other day, he's like, he goes, you're not picky. I said, no, I'm pretty picky, actually. I said, I, you know, I feel like there's so many that, because I, I know, because I go through Twitter so often, and right. I, I, I follow a lot of different people, but I usually only follow people where I'm interested in their writing. And it might not be like their book cover that I like, but it's their, you know, I check out the blurbs. Maybe I just really like their title. Maybe I just really like what their book's about. But, you know, I really try to, follow people where it's like, I really enjoy, you know, their types of stories and characters and their type of writing. So I feel like, you know, if I like one of your books, I'll like the rest of them because yeah, what I come here for. So <laughs> yeah. And once you're, once you're in it, you're going to want to know what happens yeah. to everybody in it because the stakes get higher and higher and just, you're like, no, I love these people. <laughs> so I love these creatures and, and these beings and everything. So well, I'm really glad you prepped me uh, and the audience already for for book three. So <laughs> be, yeah, so like be ready yeah, like, for the red, red wedding, you know, like <laughs> right, right, yeah. Book three is is devastating, and you know you'll want to read book four immediately afterwards. <laughs> I had so, a yeah. It's funny, so I had a friend of the day who's like, I just just gave him you know one of my other friends' books, and he was he got done with like book one. He's like, oh, this is so good. I got to book two, and then. 
he was like, got to book three and I didn't stop to think of it. And then he like messaged me. He's like, how could you, how could you do this to me? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I had what? a lot of people mad at me about yeah. it. Yeah. I was like, what happened to book three? I was like, oh my God. I was like, I can't believe I didn't warn him. You know, like, <laughs> like everybody died. You know, I think yeah. that person survived like the series at that point was like the main character. I was like, I feel so bad right now. <laughs> um, I I actually cried, you know, like when I, w- I was rereading it and I started to get emotional because like, oh my God. I forgot I did this. This is pain. Yeah. This is torture. You know, oh God. So, you know, and then like seeing people's reactions to it was really satisfying. Yeah. yeah. But they were mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> you had some really good reviews. Like I was looking at them and yeah, like there well, maybe I guess I didn't realize it, but maybe it was book three I was looking at. And yeah, some people were really pissed off at you. And I was like, well, that's good writing right there. Like they're <laughs> like, oh yeah. So you know, and then but it's really satisfying to read the fourth book's reviews and that everybody who had read Accretion read Luminiferous and was like, yes, you know, and I'm like, see, that was, I told you, you know, yeah, it's yeah. going to be worth it. It's, yeah. it's bittersweet, but it's very satisfying. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I really look forward to that. Um, like I said, I'll be getting. Yeah. I can't wait to, to hear what you think. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm glad we had the interview beforehand. I've, been trying to do that because a lot of times now like I have different questions you know that's true you know yeah yeah so it's just it's kind of nice it's kind of like I get homework and (laughs) true True. yeah it helps me out because I'm a teacher and I've had homework that's cool great time you know so yeah yeah. uh so you already mentioned a little bit for that seventh one you know like Lady Hawk I feel like we mentioned quite a few but you know what are like if you had to put like you know two movies and two books that influence you the most uh, you know, in terms of fantasy and sci-fi, in terms of your writing, like what two movies or two books would you pick? Two movies? Ah, uh, let's see. Probably The Empire Strikes Back and Aliens. Oh, man, Aliens. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, books? Oh, God. It'd be hard to pick one because all of L. Frank Baum's original 14 mm. Oz books, and yes, there were 14. It wasn't just The Wizard of Oz. I didn't know. They that. heavily, yeah. heavily influenced my writing. Yeah. And they are so outrageous and fantastical. I think, I think every fantasy and science fiction writer could benefit reading those 14 Oz books because they are a trip. Like the, the world building that he has done for that land and all the creatures and everything, it's incredible. And um, I, think, I think he had influenced Bradbury, which brings me to Bradbury, which Ray Bradbury, The Martian Chronicles. Yeah. But yeah. also Dandelion Wine, which I also loved, mm. you know. But Bradbury and Baum, B and B, you know, those are my two big ones. And more recently, I've really fallen head over heels for um, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. Yeah, yeah, I love that series. And if I had had that growing up, mm. oh my God, I I would have thought those were made for me. You know, like yeah, yeah. it's like having Lyra, you know, young precocious, like very stubborn kid. I was like, that was totally me as a kid you know and so it's a it's but yeah i would say empire strikes back and aliens and then bombs oz books and then bradbury so definitely huge in my life this gave the martian chronicles to a friend of mine for christmas and uh lucky friend uh, lucky friend i i i was so astounded i read it probably three years ago and i'm um saving the illustrated man actually for uh. Yeah. Break next week. So I'm awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> I have this, this, I have the 
collected stories of Ray Bradbury's this big red book. That book is a great gift idea. And like, I'll just go flip through and read stories. And I love that he, he just was cross genre constantly. Like some of his, some of his stories are really quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, I love it because like, you could tell like Stephen King must've just been pouring over these books, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I love that sort of unsettling undercurrent. I'd always try to tap into that. Like he has the most, Bradbury has this wonderful, fantastical view of things that's more magical realism, but yeah. then there's some dis disturbing elements laced. I'm just really fascinated by that intersection of those things in his writing. Mm -hmm. Just, I can't get enough. So he's just I, really profound. No, I, it's just funny how you said that. I guess I never really considered why I really liked the Martian Chronicles so much, but I definitely think you hit it as like, oh, because there was like, you know, the fake town. Yeah. And, you know, like the astronauts were landing and the aliens were basically just like killing them. So they weren't bringing other astronauts back. And then the one alien was like, they're just going to be sending more anyway. Right. We, we figure it out. And I was just like, wow. And then later on when all the Martians were dead, basically, except for a couple in those ruins. And then the humans were interacting with them. There was just so many times where it did. It, I think it's funny that you said that because it did, it did remind me a lot of like Stephen King, the Royal Law. Yeah. Those undercurrent. I like that though, magic realism. I like that. That actually is a really good way to to put it. I feel like. Yeah, and I I I kind of feel like I've not played with it enough, but I'm starting to dip into it more because using that in science fiction is a real head trip. Yeah. Like you can, it's there's a, there's a story I'm working on that kind of plays with that a little bit, so you don't really know what's going on, and you could think that it's this sort of some figment of the person's imagination, but it's actually happening to them in real time, and you oh. know. It's so disturbing, but kind of awesome at the same time. I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it's just a Bradbury flavor, you know, like that I'm really trying to, really trying to dig into that with my writing as I get older and, you know, and with, you know, our collective current trauma, I think that that kind of bleeds through the writing a little bit too, that you're sort of, there's this undercurrent of something always now, right? So um, that's definitely becoming part of my fiction, but Bradbury definitely laid that path for me, you know. Early yeah, I highly recommend that to anybody in our audience who hasn't read yes, absolutely. Chronicles, Illustrated Man, just pick up anything by Bradbury. anything by Bradbury, Dandelion yeah. Wine, you know. That's a good one. Like I just forgot about it. I mentioned that I think about a month and a half ago because I had a student who I think they just read the Illustrated Man and they, you know, they're much higher reading level. Um, and they're a little bit of a writer too. So I was trying to kind of inspire them. So I thought, mm, good. You know, yeah, I was like, try the illustrated man and, you know, try, you know, and they just got done with that one in English class. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, that's a great English teacher right there. Like, yeah, absolutely. Honors English or something like that. And that changed my like whole entire like world. Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Just for, just for stories just in general, I guess, not even like genre wise, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. I love Ray Bradbury. I was just talking to him. Yeah about him with Michael Webb and a couple other authors recently. I'm just like, Michael's like, how have you not read The Illustrated Man yet? I was like, well, I was waiting for my friend for book club. And then he's like, ah, he read something. And he's like, I don't really like him. I was like, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man. I was like, there's plenty of people shot. that, yeah, there's yeah. plenty of friends I could have that like. For, right, <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, those are great recommendations. I like that. I, I didn't realize that Baum had wrote, you know, so many of those yeah. books. Like, I think I read the first three, um, seventh or eighth grade. 
see, I didn't know there was that many. So I'm going to have to go back now. And I just love the world building. And yeah. Yeah. Highly whimsical. And yeah, who's probably on the poppy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, Speaking of the spice trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Totally. Did you see the new, uh, there was the new um, TV. Well, I guess it's not really new. It was a couple of years old now. There was a TV show that like centered all around Oz. And it was like this detective head. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see that. I know what you're talking about, but I didn't yeah. see it. I'm kind of behind on lots of shows and things yeah, yeah. a lot of my you know I've moved oh, back so and forth across the country a couple of times i'm like it's been chaotic so yeah, yeah. i missed out some good stuff but that's something that i did want to catch up on because i like seeing things inspired by yeah it was really good like they had a lot of interesting things where i was like oh that's really cool and yeah i just I like the world building in the show they took a lot of his world building and they did certain things the same but they did a lot of things that were newer but i felt like they did a i feel like it's hard to pay homage to the original material and they right. did such a good job with it but i highly recommend it all right i need to check yeah. it out sure super yeah. super good oh myself an oz fan i need to yeah, watch yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> anything that's like that i'm like i will yeah. or, or watch awesome. it. i just i love that whole world so they did a good cool. job with the world building there but uh I'm so any uh news updates promos anything like that this will obviously air for february for february she wrote but yeah. Um, well, of course, on a personal level, I'm engaged to fellow science fiction author Gareth L. Powell. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And so I just got back from England there. We had been at Bristol Con together in late October and he had panels and I had panels and we're probably going to be uh, interacting more on the con circuit in the new year. Oh, cool. I think he is the guest of honor at NovaCon and I'm gonna be on panels there too, apparently. Oh, cool. That's in November. We also get married in November of 2022, but oh, wow. he's also coming to the States. I'm going to try and get maybe a joint book signing here since he's not oh. been in the US before. So that's up in the air and I'm gonna to talk to a Southern California bookstore about that for potentially February. And I'm hoping to go to WonderCon, but I'm not sure yet. Um, and I don't know what my capacity will be, if I'll have small press table or if I'll be on panels or both. Yeah. That would be in April. I'm hoping to go to Chimera in Scotland in June with Gareth also. So, And in terms of what I'm working on, I'm working on a near future science fiction novella. And I'm about halfway finished with it. And it's kind of got a disaster aspect, but it also has a crime mystery thriller aspect to it. So it's a really interesting book. And as I'm writing it, it's becoming a little more trippy and a little more Bradburyan <laughs> as I'm writing it. And that's been a lot of fun. So I'm trying to get that done in between my day job of being a science writer and content manager and editor. And then I'm also working on a collection of short stories. I've already got several written set in the, the universe of the Questers on Saga, but taking place at different points in time with different characters and, you know, just each chapter focusing a different story on different characters, human and non-human and different places around the galaxy. And, you know, so it's a, I'm having fun in that universe. It's a, it's a big universe. I have a broad cast of characters and there's a lot of potential for multiple volumes of story collections there. And I'm also writing a middle grade dark fantasy, which oh, is that's really cool. totally different. Um, yeah, that's kind of set where I grew up in East Tennessee uh, with a young protagonist, you know, like 11 years old, but it has some dark elements to it. It has a little bit of like a Twin Peaks twist. So 
there's that. And then I'm, I'm working on a campy horror comedy that I'm hoping to actually maybe pitch as a show. Oh, I think cool. it'd be a really fun, hilarious, gory show. <laughs> and then I'm also dipping my toe into high fantasy. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I, I have always been a fantasy fan and I think that it's probably time for me to write true fantasy. So yeah. I've got that story kind of framed out. I'm tapping away at it, but I have a lot of irons in the fire. I've written a lot of short stories, some of which are on medium on my medium page. Anybody can go and read those for free. I also sometimes create unique content on my Patreon account. If you want to subscribe to that, you get all kinds of unique things, including sometimes video classes that I oh, give, you know, and there's, and, and recipes because I'm always cooking and baking and people are like, I want your food. So like, well, I started to put recipes on there yeah, too. Yeah. So I've got a busy year ahead, lots yeah. of projects in the works. Gareth and I have also proposed a joint project. We have an outline for a story. And so we'll see if anybody grabs that one, which would be a lot of fun. Cause I think that we, we work really well together and having a joint story would be tons of fun. So, Oh yeah. That'd yeah. be an interesting read too. Just, um, you know, based off of, you know, some of Gareth's books I have and um, you know, hearing yours, like, I just feel like I would have to read that. Like that just yeah. seems, that seems like really interesting to get two people that, you know, have uh, which I, I, you know, yeah. I think you guys both have some unique ideas. So it'd be really cool to see you blend them together into one story. So that'd be really interesting. And we've, we've got a lot of ideas for stories, but the one particular one that we have an outline for is, uh, would be quite creepy. Oh, and cool. you know, because we both love alien aliens and the thing, yeah, it would be kind of that flavor of story that would be creepy sci-fi, you know? Oh, that's cool. With horror elements. So okay. that would that would be a really fun thing to do. And then, but we have other story ideas too. So we'll see. And, you know, I, he's got a, he's got his own new book, Stars and Bones coming out in February as well. So it'd be a really fun thing to talk about that too. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's more space operas. Yeah. 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 You can never have enough space operas. <laughs> never can. Never enough. So yeah, that's what's going on with me. And I don't know all the con circuit that I'm going to have in new yeah. year. I don't know if I'm going to be at Comic-Con. I'd love to go. I, I'm a big fan of being on panels. And so I'm hoping that I'll be asked to be on more panels. I might be at Easter con in London uh, at the end of April. I'm not sure yet. That's looking that way. We'll see. Yeah. So super cool. Got yeah. a lot of cool stuff going down. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot. And I'm kind of, it's all kind of, you know, I'm doing the science writing by day, which kind of some of that feeds into my fiction a little bit, just by osmosis as much as anything. Yeah. And it's just been a really interesting time and I'm, I'm really enjoying getting more connected to the fan community and hoping, like I said, to work on some workshops, like yeah. do ecology and world building and other things like that. So I can even also probably talk quite a bit about food in science fiction and fantasy because there's always food yeah. in my stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I, I like yeah. that. Cause uh, I liked Brandon Sanderson's Warbreaker. I really liked how they had like the smoothies and that was such yeah. an interesting and they had to, it was a tropical setting. So they had to figure out where to get the ice. And uh, I really liked that yeah. for um, Skullborn too, uh, for Brian Stavely. Like he was trying to figure out, he's like, Oh yeah, they have these things. He's like, how do they get the ice? Where's the ice? Right. It's a tropical yeah. climate. So yeah, I think that adds a whole different aspect of world building. I think a lot of people do yeah. food, you know, and it's right. always you gotta eat. Or, something or soup or something. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I play with that a lot. Like in Heliopause, there's like a running joke about coffee and then there's the pie and um, there's drinks in the bar. And then in Ephemeris, there's a liqueur that disrupts Gala. She's not human, but there's this one liqueur that totally makes her kind of crazy. It doesn't affect anybody else in the universe the same way, oh, you know, cool. and then like there's more pies and there's always like something to eat and drink in my books and it's doesn't stop. So you're probably going to be a little bit hungry after you read them. <laughs> I'll, I'll know to eat beforehand. Yeah. Great <laughs> idea. The raid the fridge in the middle yeah, of the yeah. scene. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, you know, for coming on, you know, thank really you so much for having me. This has been great. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. Tell Gareth too. Anytime you guys want to come and, you know, even just talk about food and sci-fi uh, or fantasy. And <laughs> yeah. Or have us on kind of talking about both of us talking about something. Oh, yeah. That'd, that'd be really cool, actually. Yeah. Let's do that. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Definitely have to uh, to let you guys know what the calendar is like for the spring. All right. Sounds great. That'd be really cool. I've been bugging him for a while and <laughs> I keep forgetting. <laughs> come back to him. Uh, yeah. That'd be really cool to have you both on at the same time. That'd yeah. be awesome. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. That's really neat. Uh, well, thank, thank you again. So much. And yeah, thank you to our audience. You know, you can find this. Obviously, we're always on YouTube, Spotify, RSSD.com. And like uh, I was, uh, you know, mentioning earlier, we will be having, uh, you know, the new website up and running by the time that this episode airs for us. Uh, so you guys can go ahead and find, you know, all our author profiles there. Um, it'd be really cool to get everybody's social media accounts there as well. That way you can go and find everybody's books very easily. So if you guys have any questions or anything or, you know, want us to pass on, you know, any questions, comments, you know, hey, I liked your books, things like that to any authors who had on, make sure you hit me up at Scholars of Uma. That's U-M-A at gmail.com. Love to pass those along. And again, thanks everybody for coming. And thank you so much again. You know, I'll send you guys an email and we'll try and get you guys on again here in the near future. And again, congratulations. That's fabulous. Thank you. And, you know. I uh, really look forward to, you know, hearing your guys' ideas for stories and things for the future. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. I hope you have a good rest of your Sunday and I'll be uh, emailing you, obviously, and I'll see you on Twitter as well. So great. At Astra. Yeah. I'll see you later. Bye.